Welcome to Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. We are going to have a great day today because you know what? The day is whatever we make it to be. If we prevent externalities, things that occur beyond our control to control what we are going to do, what we are going to feel, how we are going to be, how we are going to treat other people, then you know what? It's on us. Let's make sure to not let others dictate. Let's take command. Anyway, folks, we're going to have a great show for you today. First of all, I want to thank everybody for the fun drive that we had. We were relatively successful, just a few thousand dollars behind, but relatively successful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You guys are keeping public radio alive. So, folks, wake up. Take your thanks. Thank you. Anyhow, we're going to have a great show for you today, and we will have a great show for you every morning here at KPFT at 6 in the morning. So tune in, tell people about us, let them know there is a station out there that is ours. And it's not only our station, but we can actively participate because of great guys that are there in the studio every morning, like Howard Reynolds and Jack Van Beber. How are my heroes doing this morning? I was wondering who you were talking about. She says they had some great people in the studio. It's like, where are they? I'm yeah. looking for them. We're looking for them. <laughs> we're the only ones here. Yeah, we'll let you know when we find them. <laughs> well, folks, I found them. I found them. Anyway, how is everybody doing this morning? All good? All good? The tin cans and the popping wires that connect them all to working together? Well, the tin cans and string are doing well, Egberto. So far, we've uh, switched over to those Campbell soup cans, and it's, it's made a much bigger difference in our sound. Oh, wow. Campbell's going to be happy about that. You know, you, yes, gave them, will. you gave them a great old plug on a public station. Anyway, folks, wake up, wake <laughs> up, wake up. We have a lot to talk about. You know, b- before I get started, um, yesterday we had one caller. I can't re- Raymond, I think, was his name. And he called, and I, and, and I think he was really upset because, you know, he, he says, you know, we're always on the side of Biden and, you know, what about Biden and bankruptcy and what about uh, uh, under Donald Trump XYZ didn't happen. Look, I don't want to argue and that sort of stuff on our channels. I want us to have a conversation because let me tell you something. Uh, and I, I need to get into the, our interview that we're going to do because it's a, it's a fairly long one. But I want it. It really was on my mind because I have no reason whatsoever not to like that guy that called in. It's easy for us on either side. This particular one is an either side thing. It's not, you know, there, there are certain things that we have to be careful. We don't turn into false equivalences. The badness of Donald Trump is not the same as the badness of of uh, of of Joe Biden. Did Joe Biden pass policies that, in my opinion, hurt people? Yes. Did Donald Trump pass policies, deny policies that hurt some people? Yes. But are they equivalent? No. The things that Donald Trump did are materially worse, or materially worse, orders of magnitude worse. There isn't something that is that says if one does bad and another does bad, that they're equally bad. It could be equally bad, but in in the cases that we do here, it's not equally bad. But if we are concentrated on our personal ideologies and 
we don't listen to the gradation of evil, the gradation of things that are bad. If we don't sit down there and calculate the severity of things that are occurring in our, our, our body politic, that is exactly what those who are pulling the strings need to happen, want to happen, or are inflicting on us. I have no ill regards, even after a call, in my opinion, that was fairly, uh, well, that gives me no interest in having any negative feelings toward the person who called. Again, I think his name was Raymond. So you can call back anytime and anytime you want to have a fair discussion about these things. I want to hear from folks because that is how we're going to make the change. As long as we are at each other's throat, because the right uses one particular figure about Biden to get you all belligerent and you get somebody on the other side belligerent, they're going to be talking about their belligerencies and they're not going to be talking about the solutions and the ill being done by those that are really in control. Biden cares nothing about me or anybody else. Trump cares nothing about me or anybody else. This is the, we have to learn to abstract and separate politics from our own humanity. We can't allow these guys to keep the separation in families, the separation in friends, etc. We have to get our minds up. They're using the animal portion of our mind. They're using the animal portion of our minds, plural to actually keep the power that they have over the things we should partake in. So again, from this, this little monologue is from that conversation that we had with the person who called in irate. Being a call, an irate call solves no problem. I don't care if you disagree with me or you agree with me. That's not the issue. Communication is the form of communication is there is a there is an effort that folks will make to try to keep us at each other's throats, because if we are there, we cannot solve problems and we cannot assign blame to those who are really or really should be assigned blame. I ask you to accept that in the voice and the tone and uh, with the with the message that I'm trying to provide here. Let's not continue to fall. Let's not continue to fall for that which keeps us, to put it as nicely as I can, to that which keeps us screwed. We can do better. We can do better. Okay, title of the show today is Minnesota Progressive Miraculous and Texas Lousy Legislative Sessions. In other words, Minnesota with a one progressive majority, in this case, a Democratic majority, with one, one vote, they revolutionized the policies that they passed for their citizenry in Minnesota. Minnesota is going to be a, a wonderful place to live because of policy because of policy people centric policies and texas as ali velshi really said is going to continue to fail flay what is the word frail why laissez-faire guns no health care yes we will have the semblance of people being happy and going to the parks and the movies like everywhere else 
but deep on the inside with our laissez-faire gun laws and people getting mad in the car and whatever and shooting each other up because of a laissez-faire gun system with no health insurance for a large plurality of our, our brothers and sisters, with a, a large uh, tax, with a large surplus of money in the coffers of Texas and we still can't give teachers raises to make them whole, to tell them we appreciate you teachers, we love you teachers because you know what? You are taking care of our most precious resource in in this world, our kids. We are taking care of that. You are taking care of that precious resource for at least seven, eight hours a day and we won't pay you commensurate with what you deserve. But at the same time, we've been indoctrinated to defend that, that stockbroker who simply does nothing and makes orders of magnitudes and money over that of a teacher. That's what we have legislated out of Austin. And we take it, and we take it, and we take it. And why do we take it? Because they have issues Each of us have issues fighting each other that we don't really see those who are, in fact, creating the harm on us. So we'll cover some of that maybe if after the interview we have time and the calls don't come sinking in. Remember, after the interview, which is going to be about half hour, third uh, call 713-526-5738. 713-526-5738, extension number two. Llámeme al 713-526-5738, extension número dos. Okay? All right, let's go ahead and get busy because this interview is with Paul Silva, or rather Pedro Silva from the um, Unify. I think you're going to like. And without further ado, here we go. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today, we are honored to have Pedro Silva. Pedro Silva is the Director of Engagement with Unify. Pedro, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing pretty good, man. All things considered. (laughs) All things considered. And well, yeah, we are in a stressful situation in this country right now. But you know what? It's activists, it's people that are engaging that actually makes a difference. First of all, tell us a little bit about what Unify does. So Unify is in a space that we uh, lovingly call bridging, which is basically bringing people together across differences. And um, we kind of have the mission of minimizing toxic polarization as well as bridging cultural divides of every kind, but with the aim of solving the problems that are very solvable in our country. And we kind of come from the mindset that we have everything we need to flourish, to thrive, and to create systems that um, positively impact our communities. It's just getting past some of those hurdles. And some of those hurdles are polarization, um, misunderstanding of different cultural norms and things like that. So we create containers, whether it's through uh, using uh, conversation uh, trainings and such, or Jody, which stands for Justice, Opportunity, Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity, hosting films, all sorts of different interventions that bring people together to look at the values that inspire and motivate people and then try to help create uh, situations where they can look at how can we solve problems that a lot of times are across differences, like people experiencing similar problems, and then they just have challenges in terms of uh, creating solutions because they're too busy focusing on the divides or the things that seem to divide. 
It's hard not to think about uh, the divide, right? When there are people in the in the positions of power who selectively are trying to do that. I have some reasons why I think they do, but let's let's use an example as you know, critical race theory, which supposedly isn't taught in high school or in these other places, but somehow that's become a new meme that really keeps people apart because folks don't want this critical race theory taught. How do you get around the people in power attempting to put that on to, to, to the community, if you will, while you are at the same time trying to tell these folks you need to try to get along? I mean, it, it's almost you're fighting the powers, the people with power that's pushing these particular memes. Well, we kind of come from the position that the individual who is uh, kind of building the community actually has more power than they think that they have to affect positive change through organizing um, and collective action. And the challenge is helping people realize that they have the power that they don't think they have. Usually people in a lot of systems, they look to someone and they say, okay, that is the person that has the power. And so I being a powerless person have to align myself with power to keep myself safe or to provide for my family or whatever the thing is that most human beings have in common. And we try to show people you actually have more power than you think you do. And from a, a place of power, you can actually build relationships because people, the reason why I think a lot of people don't build the relationships across perceived differences is because of fear and fear of not having power, fear of being left behind, fear of not being able to take care of their family. And so they look to some leader that tells them, I see your problems, I see your challenges, and I can save you. And then they say, okay, I'm going to trust that you can do that because I feel powerless to do it myself. But if you actually can uh, connect with other people who have similar values, they want to provide for their children. They want to be able to pay their bills. They want to be able to imagine having a future. And you put them with other people and go, oh, what? We have similar values. Hold on. We are both uh, being, the strings are being pulled by people who seem to have power. Or we believe them to have power, but there's more power in our interrelating and co-creating than there is in this system that's struggling to try to maintain a semblance of power. That's kind of our approach. And so we try to help people rec recognize the power that's already inherent in them and then expand on that through organizing collective action and working together across differences to learn to see multiple perspectives on the same problem and being able to do something together to solve these these challenges that most people agree on a lot of the issues you see is like 70% of people agree. And yet we see this polarization is like, how is that possible? It's because people feel powerless. And that's where we kind of uh, engage at that level. Now that, that is commendable, the work that, that you're doing. My biggest question with these types of organizations is how do you scale? Um, I can see these, these organizations working well in this, in a suburban area. I can see them working well in places where uh, people have the time to have thought processes and going to meetings, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What happens in the, these areas where people are living on top of each other and just trying to make it through the day? What kind of procedural 
uh, fixes or is there for that sort of a environment? I, mean, I think that's a probably a valid criticism of any kind of work that's in this space is because a lot of people don't have the time or the resources, at least at this present time, to be able to, like you said, attend meetings and things like that. But there are ways, and just like if you grew up poor, like I grew up poor, there are natural, like inherent ways that people organize to be able to survive in those conditions. And I think that that what we see in those environments where people have rent parties and do things like um, you know run car washes or sell dinners to help people uh, pay for their food or I mean, pay for their rent and things like that, is that there's already an inherent wisdom in community to be able to work together to solve problems. But what we've done is we've allowed, again, we've forgotten that we do have power. And so we don't lean into our neighbors. We have bought into the illusion that we can do things all on our own. And so as we've started to buy into that, we end up being victim to the propaganda that's out there that tells them that we're powerless. And so I think that Fundamentally, it's reminding people of the wisdom that, of community that has already existed within us for generations and being able to maximize that wisdom. So even in a poor environment, say they wanted to build a garden in their community and we've seen people do it where a person will say, hey, you know what? We need some fresh food in this community and it's a food desert out here. But some people decide, hey, we're going to get together. We're going to collectivize. We're going to make this little garden. And then you see a little bit of a success. And then you start to realize that you can do these things among yourself. Then it changes the way you approach power. Even take, for example, as you know, I was a pastor for 10 years, right? Right. So there's certain situations where uh, a person says like, oh, I feel powerless. Like we do a thing called power mapping. And it shows people that they actually have more connections and more relationships than they think they have and that those things can be leveraged. So say someone wants something to happen in their community, but they say, well, who am I by myself? Well, maybe by yourself, you don't feel like you're anyone. But then you say, well, do you belong to a church? Yeah, I belong to a church. Okay. How many people in your church have had that same concern or that same, that same issue? And then you connect with those people and you say, okay, how many people in faith communities in general is your church connected to another one? Yes. How many people in faith communities are having the same issue. Okay, let's discuss. It's that individualism ends up making people diminish themselves instead of maximizing themselves collectively. And so we help people to see that. Then they can come to their same senator who won't listen to one person and say, hey, I represent 300 people who all uh, you know, under see this and then it changes the dynamic, but it's getting people to remember that they can lean on each other and build relationships. Like we're working with a group in Ohio right now. They're mostly retired people who have decided that they want to see some, there's a lot of things happening in Ohio right now. And oh, they're yeah. like, we, we want to see some changes happening and they've decided, yeah, I might be retired and I might be a little older, but it's still an opportunity for me to affect positive change because they've gone to some of the trainings and said, okay, well, if we try to do this, do you think it's possible? Yes, it, we do think it's possible. We just have to collectivize and lean in 
to making those kinds of positive changes. And we've seen people making those shifts and that, that can be duplicable because that's how societies have survived from the beginning of time. We just forgotten about it because we bought into, I can do everything by myself, which keeps people divided. It's amazing that you are actually saying to, to break down or polarization to be able to enhance our power. The one thing that this country preaches, which is in fact individualism, is actually its biggest weakness. Absolutely. I mean, you're, you're essentially saying that. And you take a look at, you know, uh, when we go into the guns issue, you take a look at 80% of Americans want most of the good things about uh, about restricting guns. 80% of Americans plus. Absolutely. And we can't get it through. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, one of the words I, I uh, that individual word, I break it down sometimes into in divide you all. And so it's like you take an individual and they're operating from a place of division, right? And so you get a person, imagine... We've watched the movies, you know, Rambo or uh, whatever kind of movie where one person goes in and somehow they're saving 50, 60, 300 people by themselves. That belief that that one person can be able to protect everyone, to save everyone. And we it's a fantasy. Right. But we have it in the culture of the American consciousness. So imagine a person, their value is I want my family to be safe. I want my family to be protected. Everybody agrees on that, you know, and I want to be able to, uh, you know, take care of my children. I want these things for my family. It comes down to that. Right. And then they say, but if it's threatened, what can I do? Well, by myself, I can't do anything. I'm scared. But if I have this weapon and each bullet, just imagine this, right? Each bullet represents a, from, from the consciousness of that person is like a multiplier. It's a force multiplier. And so they imagine themselves to have a, a multiplication of themselves through their weapons and their bullets and things like that. And it all comes down to a value of trying to protect and take care of their family. And they don't want anybody to harm their family, which is honorable value. But then that same individualism thinks I had to do it by myself. If you have a community that's working together to encourage one another, to support one another, to see kids that are struggling and that everybody sees it as their problem and that something that they can work together to solve, then the environment itself becomes safer. And you don't even need the, the fear of the threat that you're going to protect yourself from is diminished by community and by working together with people uh, to solve problems. And that's the thing that I think with the guns you see is people think that they have to save everything and do everything by themselves. And they see guns as a force multiplier that builds their capacity to be able to do that thing. But in reality, I don't think it is that way. In interestingly, right, uh, we're talking, we, we, we just use guns as an example right there. But if we go ahead and migrate to the subway in uh, in New York, where Jordan Neely was murdered by um, Penny, uh, Daniel Penny, uh, because he came in with mental issues, shouting that he wanted some food and he didn't care if he lived, he touched nobody. And this guy just choked him to death. And I, I want to break this into two pieces because there, there are two there are two pieces here. The seeing 
a black body automatically as a weapon or as a danger, number one, even if that person is mentally ill. But number two, how you actually saw a particular sect try to defend uh, Neely, try to make it that he just did what he needed to do or what he thought he needed to do. And they don't see that. They, they're unable to see that what you're saying is being in a black body gives others the right not to kill you, but to believe they are justified in killing you. Well, I mean, I would say that this is a criticism to some degree of the education system, but I'll say the education system works in the sense that we have different narratives that we perpetuate in our system. Uh, generally speaking, they all come down to, again, to the same value. I want to be safe. I want to be protected. I don't want my family to lose out. I want to be able to provide for my family. And anything that seems like it's a threat to that, then I have to keep it away from me. I have to distance myself from it. And it's, a, but it also emerges from a unconscious often sense of powerlessness. Like the people, they actually feel powerless but then it manifests as, as force, which is force and power are two different dynamics, right. but we conflate force with power in our, in our society. And so a person feels that their ability to force a situation is the same thing as power, which in fact is not. And even with the, the, the situation with black bodies, that yes, it's been weaponized. Like I've had people tell me who people get to know me. I'm short. I'm like very short. I'm like five foot four. Um, and I've had people say to me, I don't know why, but in my mind, you're six feet tall. Like generally speaking, like black person probably still sees me at five foot four, <laughs> but, but I've had white people tell me for some reason in my mind, every time I see you, I'm surprised that you're as short as you are, even though they've seen me, but in their mind, they experience me as bigger and stronger and more physically have more physical um, power than I might actually have. That's a psychological thing that's been conditioned into the consciousness of our many people in our society. And so, but it still keeps coming out to that same thing. It's like that person just is a terrified person like Penny and my imagination, because obviously I'm not him, but I perceived that he was scared. And then he acted out of his fear and it's triggered a response. And then he tried to, in his mind, neutralize the threat, even though there may not have been an actual threat happening. But I've seen it time and time again that a people will perceive a threat because they already are carrying that fear within within them. So I've used this example for folks plenty of times. Say that you have a um, water hose in your garage, but you forgot to hang it up. You just throw it on the ground. You forget you throw it on the ground. You have a fear of snakes. You walk into the garage and you think, oh my God, it's a snake. You start uh, chopping up the water hose immediately. And then you realize like, oh, oh my God, it's a water hose. It wasn't a snake, right? You have both simultaneously had the experience of face coming in face to face with one of your fears, taking action on it. And it was very real until it wasn't. 
you know, and that's what happens. I think a lot of times in encounters with folks, um, people encountering black bodies is it's been programmed into our society that we are a threat. And so people have that in their mind already still running that tape of how do I protect myself? How do I keep my family safe? How do not realizing that we have the same concerns? We have the same values. We have the same things that, excuse me, that we're um, thinking about every single day. And that when another person puts their fear over someone else's uh, reality, that's a dangerous cocktail, you know, and that's what we're perceiving a lot of times. And so someone like Penny in the mind of another person who's terrified, they'll say he saved us. He was a hero. And there's a, without going too far into it, we have a very, um, I would say a unhealthy, uh, I can't think of a good word, relationship with the hero dynamic. Yeah. Like there, we want someone to be our hero, like so badly that, and when we decide someone's our hero, we have a strong commitment in society to that hero, even when we're witnessing the failings, because we just want someone to make us safe, you know, and it's going to be a while before humans, I think, get to a place where we start to really realize that a lot of the fears that we're running and operating are not actual reality, you know, because we've been running that tape for so long that it's uh, it's pretty, pretty ubiquitous at this point. But I do think the interventions that cause people to have um, come an encounter with cognitive dissonance and being able to say, like, hold on and feeling the discomfort of the thoughts that they are holding and and their experience and then encountering those, I think we're eventually going to be able to, I hope <laughs> that we'll be able to back. Cause I've seen people do it to be able to come in contact with that awareness and go like, I'm holding conflicting thoughts. I say I have this value, but I act in this way. And I do believe that there's going to be an increased value in congruency in humanity over time. Hopefully it won't take uh, a lot of, hardship and despair and more of what we've been seeing to get to that point where we value congruency. I hope it doesn't, but I do believe that eventually uh, congruency will win. Now, one of the reasons I, I've, I've, I started doing this work and this type of journalism, this type of um, projects is because um, I think uh, we are purposefully being taught not to think critically. We are purposefully being taught all of these things to maintain, to, to maintain, to, to make people believe they're powerless. So I agree with you wholeheartedly there because again, when we take a look at the dynamics in this country, and if, if you look at uh, who are the people that really are, should justifiably be scared of others, the least person one would think a uh, that the, the, the person that should be most feared in this country are not the black men or whatever. After all, weren't these people allowed them? Well, I, I won't say allowed themselves, but weren't these people enslaved? Weren't these people allowed to have to suffer under Jim Crow? Weren't these people uh, pretty much, uh, for lack of a better term, mentally neutered? Who needs to fear who and how do you and and look, there are genuinely folks that are scared of people who, let's say, look like me genuinely. 
but it's because of what they were taught. But again, if being taught is not enough, right? And my question to you is, is as follows. It's what you're taught. Critical and, and, and how you're taught to think on your own. Critical thinking should have every American citizen not fearful of, let's say, let's we're talking we're talking black right now, let's say, not of black folks specifically, because again, the, the fear seemed to have been justifiably on the other or should be justifiably on the other side. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I will say that there I think that there's always been um, resistance of black people in the con- in the constant um, in the context of subjugation, like when black people were subjugated in the way that we were during slavery in this country. I do think there was always resistance and things like that. But people because of those same values, I want to keep my family safe. I want to do these things. We held back. Um, some aspect of our own volition simply because, you know, we didn't want our children to be harmed or something like that. So there, I think that that always is in place. So I don't think that we were necessarily neutered, but we were just being, cause I know you used that term. Um, but I think that it was more that we were being strategic because we want our child's children to survive. I actually wrote a small little uh, piece called uh, do children owe their parents. And the idea in it was it was talking about um, I, it was called Do Children Owe Their Parents a Black Perspective. And it was the idea that uh, in our context, in an American context, a lot of times the fear black people were afraid for their children um, to be harmed by the white community, largely speaking, because they could you know, touch our bodies or do whatever they wanted to do. And we couldn't we seemingly couldn't say much. And so that informed a lot of the ways that we show up in the world and informs the ways that our parents uh, parented us sometimes, because sometimes our parents would want to make us more afraid of them than we would be of the police or of white people to keep us safe. So they would be like, I want you to be scared of me because so when I tell you don't go down that neighborhood or don't go down the street, you won't because uh, you'll be afraid of what I'll do. And sometimes I might need to make you more scared than uh, of me than you are of the other authorities, if you will. Uh, but then the downside of that is that as uh, we started to gain different freedoms and things like that, some of us started being like our forms of resistance were, you know, going against the system in any way we possibly can, because we know we watched our parents, uh, their backs being broken under the system, watching our parents being like, in my case, my mom was like super intelligent woman. And I feel like my mom got basically bashed by uh, this context in America and was not able to fully realize her potential and, you know, kind of gave up over time because she was constantly uh, being bashed and beat down. Um, And so some of us, we look at that system and we say, okay, if this is what's going to happen, I'm not going to participate or I'm going to do whatever I can. Yeah. Why bother? What, how can I get around it? And, but I, and I do think that that all, all of those expressions still come down to fear, a sense of powerlessness, um, and those sorts of things I do. And I, um, but I also think, let me interrupt you because when I just said, why bother? I, I mean, I, this was just sort of a, I had, I just got this out of what you were saying. And it was like, wow, people ask, different demographics, different groups, 
why is it that you stay in that condition? Why don't you take yourself out of the condition? And the way you express that, why bother? If mm-hmm. I'm if there's a likelihood I'll be unsuccessful in getting there, why bother? I, you know, I, that just kind of rang out. Sorry to interrupt you. I just, yeah, just no, rang, rang out there. I, mean, uh, I think a lot of people, um, I mean, for me, it all comes, it, it still all comes down to fear, you know, and no matter what it is. And people do come to that conclusion of why bother. And I do think that people, there's a fear, like a lot of people I knew growing up, they were afraid of white people. Um, sometimes they would say that they were fear for afraid out loud. Sometimes they would say they would exaggerate the notion that they weren't afraid. And because they want to, they don't, who wants to say I'm afraid? Who wants to walk around and be like, I'm scared? You know what I mean? And so, but it's the same issue that you see um, on either side. And it's the same values, it's the same things that they want to experience. And then that notion that it could be taken from them or that they can try and fail or it doesn't matter. Like you build up your community and then someone burns it down. Like all of these things, you know, great on the consciousness of a person um, and a community. But at the same time, I still personally submit to the notion that if it's emerging from a place of fear, then it's um, it's illusion of power is impotent, you know. And so I try my best um, in my own walk to be able to say, where is this coming from? And I've had encounters with people who have been fearful, but because I, if I can get myself to maintain uh, a sense of awareness where I'm like, I see what's happening right now. And I see that this person is operating out of fear. Like I was at a, um, a thing out here when uh, it was a few years ago, I can't remember to recall the man, but it was, it happened in Texas where I believe it happened in Texas where it was a black man that was um, killing police officers. Oh uh, yeah. Because yeah. And so we had a vigil. Yeah. So we had a vigil both for the police officers and for the unarmed black people um, who had been killed. So some students held it. It wasn't, I wasn't responsible for it, but I decided to show up to it. And uh, a white man showed up and whenever we read off a name of a black person, he would say something like thug, this, that, that, and the other thing. And it was a candlelight vigil and it was, and we were just saying names um, and trying to hold like a neutral space. These, these college students were doing it and he would say thug and criminal. And he would just throw out these words. And then everybody would kind of look like, why is this guy doing this? So then I said to him, I said, sir, can you please stop? And he was like, no, basically I'm going to keep doing this. And then I said, and I said to him, I said, sir, look, I know that you're afraid. And that's why you're doing this, but you don't need to be afraid. And then he said, I'm not afraid. Are you going to say I'm afraid? These are thugs. And he kept saying his things. And I said, this is event is both for police officers and for unarmed black people, because the same system is harming everyone. The same system, everyone afraid of one another and is creating this. So when I tried to explain to him, still, he said what he had to say. And then I said again, sir, I know you're afraid. And then at some point he said, why do you keep saying I'm afraid? And then I said, because I've been afraid before, too. And my face looked just like yours. And as soon as I said it, he stopped. He didn't say anything else for the rest of the night. 
he got quiet and then he sat down and, and talked to the students and started asking them questions and they started talking to him back. Um, wow. But he had the, it had the, the fear and the mutuality had to be acknowledged. And by, you know, grace, I was able to hold my peace and be able to say to him, like, I know what fear looks like. I've been afraid. You are afraid. Stop doing what you're doing out of fear. And he stopped. I don't know what happened with the rest of his life, but he stopped that night and he was able to be quiet. And I think that a lot of people are operating under that that fear and they're they're like a, almost like a soda that's been shaken up contents under pressure and you open up a little bit and they like, but it's, it's temporary though. Like even when you shake right. up a soda flows for a little bit and then it settles down and it has less fizz, less potency and everything afterwards. But it's, it's like, we just don't have those containers that allow some of that stuff to spill over and to settle for people to then reflect, you know? And so we try to create those containers and help people witness what's occurring inside of them when they have these encounters so that they own it. Because if I just tell them, you know, all the time and these are all the tips and stuff like that, it's not going to be sustainable. But if they can get to a point where they recognize it within themselves, then they can say like, oh, this is what's happening in me. And now I realize now that I know that it's happening, just like in 12 steps, you know, you realize you're powerless and then you can invite in something that offers you some semblance of true power. Um, not exactly the same, but there's that you have to admit where you're coming from, that you feel powerless before you can actually do that. And I think that's the the humility that a lot of us need to cultivate. You nailed that. And you know what? Um, <laughs> believe it or not, we're having so much time talking. We went a bit over time, but here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to close this session out uh, I think we, uh, I think we got just where I'd hope uh, with a, 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 with sort of resolution. What I want to do the, the next time is to cover a few more directions. In other words, how can we, everything that you've spoken about, how can we actually make a difference starting now? Mm. That's the goal that I'd like to, because I think, Many a times we, we it, it, not that you are talking in platitudes, not that I'm talking in platitudes, but many times we have all these grandiose ideas. And my question is, what's next? What do we do next? So the next time we talk, I want us to go ahead and talk about what are we going to do next? Because polarization is a, is a real thing now and it's being directed from above. How can we solve it from below? Mm -hmm. Well, I'll say well, there's no below. We're not below. <laughs> we're really realizing uh, uh, that we're I, not below. I am glad that you corrected me that. What I meant is, I should say really from the masses, from the grassroots. Mm -hmm. That's what I should say. That's what I should say. Anyway, give me, give me a quick 15 second closer. I believe, and I invite others to consider that we are very much more powerful than we imagine ourselves to be. And that the power that we see in others is just um, a misguided reflection. That if we look within, we'll recognize that the things that we want from everyone else to provide for us to give us, we can do it ourselves, not as individuals, but as a collective, as a community brother to brother, sister to sister, friend to friend, neighbor to neighbor. Um, it's through that that we create the world that we know is possible. Pedro Silva, director 
of engagement at Unify. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right, and we will be back. Thank you. I met Pedro in, uh, in New York at a conference. We we're trying to figure out how we could create structures that brought people together. And we had people from the left, right, middle, everywhere. We had people who were in gangs. We had people. It, it was a great meeting in upstate New York. And this guy has a whole lot to say. And I think we, we need stable thinking like what Pedro uh, brings so that we can actually stop these powers from taking control of our lives. Let's go to Richard line two. I hope Richard held on. Richard, come on in. Yes, thank you. Umberto, I talked to you a few weeks ago and you told me to call you back over exactly what you've been saying for several years now. You said it Friday on Tom Hartman's show that we have more in common with these right wingers than we have that we disagree with. Absolutely. I disagree with you completely. I have nothing in common with people who hate people because of the color of their skin. I have mm-hmm. nothing in common with people who think they need to stand at the border and shoot people that are trying to cross the border to save their family's lives. Mm-hmm. I have nothing in common with these people that think they need women in the kitchen or just in the bedroom, second-class people. I have nothing in common with these people that disagree with what is being taught in school because it doesn't coincide with what they believe. And so they want to ban books, CRT and stuff. I don't understand that on and on and on again. I disagree 100%. I got you, brother. Brother, let me ask you you a question, right? Um, Do you think, let's forget about what they think about People like you and me, etc. Let's let's forget that for a second. Do you think they loved your kids? Okay, I'll play. Yes. Do you think they loved their parents, their mothers, etc.? Do you think? Let, let me tell you what I'm. They, let me let me say what I was trying to get, including with the conversation with Pedro Silva. Right. Um, you are. L- let me first say, Richard, you were reared very well. The indicators that you got from the outside, and, and Pedro kind of alluded to this as well. The indicators that you get from her outside made you a moral, humane person, right? But a lot of that didn't just come because of who your soul is, but it's about who the people are that you engage with, who, who the, the news that you listen to, the people that you have faith in. Hey, brother, you're listening to politics and right on KPFT, man. I'm, I'm playing, I'm playing, but... But what I'm, what, here's where I'm trying to get, get us, and I hope I can get you there as well. Um, we look at what these people are doing, the evil that they have. I, I saw a picture uh, back in the civil rights day of, of, uh, of a whole mob when these two black kids were going into that school. They wanted to kill them. That's how they looked, right? But those I'll same... Yeah, and those same people today, brother, those same people today, they're ashamed of, did I really think like that? And, and I want, let me personalize this a little bit for me, okay, and where my empathy comes from. I am from Central America, Black, Caribbean, Latino. That's my, that's my ethnicity. 
And there, that gave me a problem with the way I thought about uh, homosexuality, the way I thought about sexism, etc. And I'm, I can tell you that as a, when I came over to the United States, an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, that I brought that with me. I am, I am ashamed that that is what I was until I learned, on, I, until something was able to trigger me to correct myself. As a society, when I say we are all the, you know, we, 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 we have more in common, the most important thing I think when you think about it is your kids. Do you love your kids? All this kind of a thing, right? And you, you agree that these people love their kids. These people love the people that they're around. So if we can get them to expand their horizons, right? Expand their thought process. I, am, I, am, I, I know hating on them is going to fail, right? Hating on them is not going to change anything. So guys like Pedro and what we do in, in different spaces, we are, we, are, we are trying tactics that says, let's bring out everybody's humanity because everybody has that humanity on the inside. That's all I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not, I, I, you are not like all the negative things you portrayed of them. I'm 100% in agreement with you. What I want to do is find a way to bring out their, that humanity. Go ahead, Richard. Sorry, I, I talked for a long time. Go ahead. That's okay. I'm white. I'm 67 years old. I'm mm -hmm. sixth generation Texan. I had to learn. I mean, I was born and raised in Conroe, Texas in the 50s and 60s yes. when it was just natural to use the N-word. Right. I had to dissect it from vocabulary. I had to learn on my own because of what happened to me, a nightmare that happened to me. It's a long story, but I right. figured it out. Now, I also figured out that I am a... Uh, I don't hate. I don't want to use the word aberration. Just unique, I guess. Aberration. I know what you mean. I know where you're going. Okay, because I figured it out because of what happened. The stars had to be aligned in a certain way for me to figure it out. You're saying that I was raised right. Yeah, I was, but I was still raised by racist parents. You know, right. they didn't. They didn't go any better. They were following their, the lead of everybody else. Now, the people that I tried to tell my story to, thinking naively that I was going to be able to make a difference and tell them it's got to happen to them the way it happened to me for them to get it. I can't tell them my story and them get it. And it's unique in it happened to me. And it's unique that it's not unique. It's, it's impossible for it to happen to everybody enough for them to get it. I go around and tell these people and they get glazed over eyes in the, and, and, and roll their eyes and don't believe what I'm telling them until six months, a year, whatever. They come back and go, dude, that story you told me what happened to you, I thought you were full of you know what. But let me tell you what happened to my brother or my son or my uncle or my dad. Yeah, okay, now you get it. But, it's but guess what? Guess what? Hey, hey, hold on, Richard. Richard, I want to give you kudos. You, you just proved my point, and I want to give you big kudos. You know that person that came back and said, you know what happened? You know what? You know what? Let me tell you what happened that you haven't just told me that did happen. You laid the seeds in his mind so that when that occurrence, and the occurrences do occur, they are going to occur, but you planted that seed, Richard. So don't dare believe that. Yeah, by the way, it's not that it's not so much that you are an aberration or unique. You planted that seed and then that seed, when it when when the when the water and the sun and the fertilizer came in, it bore fruit. 
So I'm I'm trying to change our our thinking in in that form, brother. That's all I'm trying to do. You you are more influential than you possibly think. I want you to back up a hundred years, 1920, 1923, Jeremy. Don't yes. you think that this conversation took place? thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times between fathers and sons and neighbors yes. and uncles and about this man who's going to make Germany great again. Yes. Yes. Right. You really, I understand. No, they're authoritarianism. They have already bought, they've already drank the Kool-Aid. They bought yeah. a hook line speaker. And you know what, Richard, I, I, we're coming out close on time and I need to get to Johnny, but let me just tell you something. First of all, I ask you one thing, keep doing what you said when you talk to people and don't, don't expect fruit to be born right away. Uh, and in five, look, my, this is a long game. You don't change what our country was founded on. You don't change all these things overnight. These things need, need time to fester, to change. And, and like I said, you made a difference. And just your wordiology tells me you made a difference. So please keep doing that kind of a stuff. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask one favor. See if you can back off through some of the they won't change kind of mentality. And, and, and let's, let, that's what I'm hoping that we do. But anyway, Richard, any, give me a quick five seconds. I got to go to Johnny. Okay, I appreciate your optimism. We, hey, brother, that's what we got, and 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 you you actually made me more optimistic. Actually, you made me more optimistic. So thank you. You have a great day, sir. You too. All right, Johnny, come on in. Oh, let me turn this radio down. All right. Come on in, Johnny. Okay. Uh, I want to congratulate your caller just now, Richard, for his yes. recognition, his cognition, and his realization that life is really brutal and that in spite of your upbringing, you can, because you are a free-thinking human being with some right. kind of autonomy, are able to step back and look at the world as you grow older and apply your experience and your education and experiences from other people that you meet along the way. So congratulations to Richard. And I am hopeful because of people like Richard. And it's strange to admit that I have had a similar experience with the garden hose in the garage. <laughs> but I didn't have a fear reaction. I looked at it. I thought it was might have been a snake. And I stopped. And I stepped back. And then I waited. And then I looked again. And I came a little closer. And I looked at it. And I realized, oh, that's a damn that's a hose. <laughs> it's all immediately for an axe. And likewise, if I'm a policeman with a gun at a Walmart with my buddies who also have guns and radios, I'm not going to tell a black man, stop resisting while he's lying unconscious as I pump more bullets to him. And I'm not going to shoot a nine-year-old from the safety and comfort of my squad car in Ohio by a gazebo when it's obviously a child. I hold, I give no credit to these white guys in police uniforms who don't belong in uniform in the first place. We have a problem, Egberto. We have too many white nationalists who have infiltrated both our military and law enforcement. That's the that problem. I can agree with. It's not but, Richard. Richard's not the problem. the problem. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, Johnny, first of all, 
I've never once implied that Richard is a problem. I never once implied that Johnny is the problem. In fact, Johnny or Johnny and Richard are great allies just based on the way you're talking. But what what I ask folks like is, you know, the interview that I just had was with Pedro Silva, another black guy that is using that is attempting to not use the, the 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 gut reaction that one would expect, but instead that reaction that says we understand the fear. You notice a lot of what Pedro was talking about is fear, 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 and he's right. I sit down and I speak to folks on a one-on-one basis. It's not. It it, it also includes that fear of peer of of your peers thinking i can't believe you're going for that hey johnny my interview went long and i didn't have a lot of time to take calls and i got to give a closer here you know i I thank you for calling i thank you for listening all the time i thank you for letting people know about us but we we talk tomorrow right brother what's today tuesday today's tuesday we speak tomorrow johnny you know you're a standard man come on (laughs) i will try to remember to call you first thing this time all right We're not finished with this conversation. Thank you, brother. You have a good one. Hey, folks, uh, look, let me tell you. um, I I didn't try to cut up Pedro Silva's interview because I wanted to get the entire flavor and certain. I couldn't find places to cut, to be honest with you. But anyway, um, I want to thank you guys for listening and understand where we're coming from, right? Uh, You know, a lot of people think that you know the 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 way that i that i speak and the way i talk about getting folks together is sort of naive it's not coming from a position of naivete of of just thinking that oh there are roses and things are going to be great and that somehow the persons that 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 do the things that they do in the trump world or other worlds it's going to be that way that's not where it comes from it comes from acknowledging the fact that we're all humans and all humans can change and then personalizing it the fact that I, for my prejudices have changed, it means anyone, everyone under this, and listen to what Richard said, under the particular circumstances, the part that Richard misses, he didn't realize that seed that he planted to allow that person who saw the instantiation of what he went through to, to, to make it parallel to what Richard told him several times before. And that's what I've noticed about how the mind work, the mindset, even the change in mind, the muscle memory that we have to overcome, etc. Richard, great guy. And of course, Johnny will always be a great guy. Uh, I want to thank Howard in the studio. I want to thank uh, Van Beber. It's Jack Van Beber in the, in the control room. You guys are great. I got to get out of here. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.